Welcome back for another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as ever by Will Schroeder, Startups.com CEO and founder. Will, we talk a lot about how inextricable founder personalities can be from the businesses and how, you know, we often get our entire identity wrapped up in the business, which can be great, but it can also, uh, it can also go the other way. What happens when a founder's personality becomes a liability for the startup? Well, yeah, it's a problem because the founder is the one that has to determine that the founder is the liability in the company. (laughs) (laughs) How many people like actually have that much self-awareness that they would even understand that they should look for that? Because it's like everybody in life, right? Like we all think that whatever problems we have in life are somebody else's problems that I'm just dealing with. It's very rare that you hear someone say, you know, actually the problem is me and these other people are just like a reflection of my issues. Yeah, just when you're lying about a breakup. No, no, it's not you, it's me. And then on top, right, and then on top of that, for the founder, all guns are pointing toward us, right? You know, everything, everybody's, all eyes are on us. And so we're sitting there going, okay, we have to project this image where we're doing everything right and we're, you know, trying to make all the right decisions. It's really hard for us to raise our hand and say, hey, am I doing everything wrong? And then even if you do, the people that you're typically asking, like your coworkers, co-founders, employees, whatever, yeah. the last thing on their mind is, let me tell you what an a-hole you are, right? <laughs> <laughs> and risk the fallout that comes with that. So it's like the emperor's, you know, he's got no clothes. Like, like no one's going to tell you how things really are. And yet, our personalities, right, our, our flaws, our issues, our, and our strengths are all the largest reflection of the organization, especially, especially, you know, in the early years when there isn't that big of a company. Imagine what the problem is when you're, say, Adam from WeWork or Travis from Uber, and your personality is such a massive reflection of the systemic problems in a company, and you're unwilling to admit it. Yeah. And, and as you said before, right, you're probably, you need to recognize it because you're the only one that can probably do something about it. If you're sitting in the top chair, likely somebody else is going to come and tell you any of this is pretty slim. And so you do need to recognize it. On the other hand, as you said, everybody else has probably already recognized this. You know, well, I just had a, I had a great product <laughs> idea. I had a great product idea. We're going to set up a filter in Slack uh, that looks for founder name plus asshole or other you know, what we can, we make a list there. And when it sees that in combination more than four times a day, it's just going to send an alert anonymously to the founder, uh, letting him know you might be an asshole. Well, (laughs) your alerts would be going off nonstop. (laughs) So, right. Let me paint a little bit of a picture of early on in my first startup, kind of the first time I I saw this, it's always too late, by the way, like, you know, nobody sees it uh, when they should. But the first time when I saw this and kind of how it manifested. So, like 25 years old, the company's grown quite a bit. We've got hundreds and hundreds of employees at this point. I've obviously never done this before. I have no idea, you know, how I'm supposed to act. And then the other challenge that you have when you're that young, let's say like you're in your 20s, you kind of haven't been around long enough yet to know what you should or shouldn't do. I mean, that's literally the part of your life where you're, you're learning, right? Where all these things are happening for the first time. Well, and in your case and in mine, neither of us had had the experience of being on the other side of that coin, right? Where we were the ones looking up at a founder or a boss and saying, gosh, what an asshole. And so we didn't even have the warning sign, right? We didn't, we didn't have anything to say like, oh, that's what this looks like. You also, interestingly, again, and we've referred to this before in other episodes, but it was also during a time period, call it the mid-90s, 
where being a 25-year-old CEO didn't exist yet. So <laughs> right. literally no one knew how this goes, right? I mean, everybody just assumed it was a one-off fluke and it would all go back to you know the way things were with silver-haired 50-somethings getting their first promotion <laughs> to become president, right? Yeah, like, I'm just thinking at that point in my life, if somebody had come and called me an asshole, I probably would have been like, man, that sounds so grown up. I would have been proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And so for me, I'm at this point where I'm straddling two things trying to understand what it meant to be a leader and a CEO, which in and of itself is a, a long journey that I didn't have a lot of time to learn, right? And then the second part of it was just being a 25-year-old kid, right? And like, yeah. at which point, like what's appropriate for just being a 25-year-old kid and what's appropriate for being 25 years old as a CEO? Lines are blurred. All of my friends are just getting out of college. They're still working at their first shitty job right? So by comparison, it's like I'm having a beer talking about how do you, hey guys, how are you dealing with this? Because no one's dealing with it. Right. So that was bad enough. On top of that, I'm also kind of an a-hole, right? So you've got this, <laughs> this compounding, you know, situation where I don't know what to do. I'm going into total muddy waters and I'm not the coolest guy to begin with, right? And so like I'm dealing with how my personality as I become an adult is going to be reflected in a world that's never kind of existed before. Total shit show, right? However, I will say I had at least the self-awareness to know that I probably, probably was screwing something up at this point. Ryan, I don't know where you were in your 20s as far as like your maturity scale. Mine was pretty low. I would say, yeah. I had my moments. I definitely had my moments. I think that I was always referred to as being kind of the, I was too old for my age and that kind of thing when I was very young. But college helped me fix that. I get to go back to being a total knucklehead at some point. And regardless of, you know, you know, kind of how well-mannered I was, you know, there's still certain things that just come with time and experience. And a lot of these I just had not dealt with, particularly the kind of one-on-one -on -one personal struggle. So when, when somebody would come to me with, you know, an issue, my emotional intelligence at that point was far outstripped by every other type of intelligence possible. Not to say that I was super smart in any other area, but I was way smarter in those than I was emotionally. And that was where I felt it the most, in hindsight mostly, right? Like I, you know, somebody would come to me with a problem, I would handle it very poorly, then they would be very upset, which I would hear about third party from somebody else who came back and said, hey, you know, why did you act like such an asshole to him when he came to you and told you all that? And like, I didn't know that I did. And I don't know what to do about it now. So yeah, so I was very, very much ill-equipped and learning on the job at that point. Okay, so, but again, all these things exacerbate for a founder, especially a young founder. Yes. You're going through life, you're becoming an adult for the first time. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean, just that's how it works. I mean, that's how you start to kind of learn how the world works. You have all these interactions you didn't have before. Yep. But then it gets compounded because now you're the founder of a company. See, it's not the same as like when you're an employee of a company. When you're an employee of a company and you're a crappy employee, you have a manager that steps in and is like, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. And they're whether you like it or not, they're kind of honest with you and they kind of share with you exactly what you should or shouldn't be doing. When you're the founder and you screw stuff up, no one tells you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so you're yeah. just like, you know, no one pulls you aside. It's like, whoa, you probably shouldn't have said that, you know? If they had, I would have had somebody pulling me aside like every nine minutes, right? They would have been like, yeah, you. It would have looked like drawing and quartering in my case. Like I would have been torn to pieces. <laughs> oh my God, right? I would have been fired every day of my career. But here's the thing, man. Like 
we're in this position where all these people are relying on us to have it figured out. Right. Have it figured out, not just the business or anything like that. Have it figured out, like have your maturity right, not be an a-hole, have empathy, like have all of these things in line that require a tremendous amount of time. And to be fair, most people never get it right. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Right. So this isn't just like, hey, if I'm around long enough, I'm going to get grandfathered into it. Most people are jerks their entire lives. Most people are liabilities to themselves, their relationships, and everything else their entire lives. They just typically aren't founders, right? right, right. So the the exponential problem doesn't exist in the same way. You know, going back in time, I think one of the only saving graces in all of this was the fact that I had mostly hired friends and or classmates or at least people in the same age cohort. And so they also didn't know what it looked like or meant to be a grown up or what appropriate workplace culture was or how you should treat employees or be treated as an employee. And that's probably the only thing that saved me from even bigger blow ups. Not that they didn't exist, but I think that was really, you know, the fact that everybody was kind of growing up together was the saving grace in all of this for me. I think some of the age did help because my peers were my age, right? Yep. So after work, we could go out for a drink and they would just call me an a-hole, right? And kind of forget that I was their boss, right? But like, yep. it's just something friends would do because, you know, uh, we're all young, whatever. You know, maybe that's an important segue here, Ryan, because part of what we're talking about is if we are the liability in the company, if we are the one making uh, working everybody too hard or stressing everybody out or creating a combativeness or creating a, you know, a politically charged situation. How do we find out that we're the liability? What if we're the liability right now and we're the only person that doesn't know it, right? You know, how do we uncover that? Well, this is probably a weird time to bring this up, Will, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> since you've opened the door, yeah, you know, again, that part of that is maturity, right? And so some of that does, and I don't know that it just comes with time, but it comes with the experiences that tend to come from being immature. But, but a big part right. of that does come maturity and understanding the value in self-reflection, introspection. But in terms of turning that corner in time, especially, you know, if you're a first time founder and, and kind of realizing that before major damage is done is something I don't see happen all that often. I feel like everybody sort of has the same trajectory. Maybe we can change that. Hopefully people listening today are, are still in a, in a, you know, kind of in a safer space. But it sounds like yours came from the same place mine did, which was that I smacked my head on the bar enough times to finally figure out to duck. And that was really it. Right. And so my self-awareness was very hard earned probably the first two times, if I'm honest. And then, you know, kind of in, in company three, I was doing better about being a bit more self-aware. I was certainly older, maybe a bit more mature and had at least taken enough wounds from bad actions to know that I wanted to avoid them in the future. But I don't know a lot of people who just kind of walked in Zen-like and were like, hey, you know what? I'm going to think about how I fit into this situation before I say or do anything else. I don't know too many founders that started off with that level of maturity. You know, when I think about it, though, when I go back, Ryan, like I rewind way back and I'm thinking like, and when I'm making my first hires, you know, I'm 22. The people I'm hiring at the time are like 44. And they're telling me like every day, like, hey, are you sure you're old enough to be hiring me? This isn't at the time breeding a ton of security for me. Like, in other words, I'm so young and I felt so displaced by where I was being a CEO, et cetera, at such a young age that I was inherently very insecure. Sure. So for me to start to reach out a little bit and say, hey, am I doing a good job? Wasn't that foreign to me? Because again, I didn't really expect to be in this job to begin with. And so I pulled a couple people aside and I was like, look, I know I'm not a total treat here to work with. I was like, 
I know I'm combative in meetings. I know that I have crazy ADD. I know that I tend to think that I'm right. Like I basically say, here's what we're supposed to do. And I wait for everybody else to come on board with exactly what I decided was the right answer. Yeah, yeah. And like in my mind, I knew there were some problems, but I didn't understand quite how significant those were. And then I dropped the bomb. You tell me what I could be changing. And but here, but here's what I did well. And I, I have to say this because I think this is an important part of how other folks can do it. I didn't say, tell me what a screw up I am, tell me how I'm messing things up. I said, I want to improve some of my communication. Where are some areas that I can do a little bit better? Right? Sure. That said, that was like giving the keys to like everything everybody's been saying about me the entire time. Right. And I got way more feedback than I ever expected to get. And they were like, combative would be an understatement. Right. Like people find you flat out annoying to work with. Right. They're like, your insecurities come through in 50 different ways. And here they all are. I mean, it was like your psychologist finally just saying, you are batshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was, I mean, I've never forget like during these conversations, it all happened in like a, in one afternoon. Because I asked one of my friends, and again, he was very open with me, way more open than I thought he'd be. And then I was like, whoa, does anybody else feel this way? And I went to another friend thinking they were like, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. And they were more like, and then, <laughs> this and this. I was like, wow. And it just shook me, man. Like I got to a point where I was like, I'm this far off and no one's told me? I mean, whoa, right? And then I think about well, man, like we're in a client-facing business in the agency business. How how many clients felt this way and never told me or you know, didn't sign with us because they felt this way? How many people never came to work with us? How many people left? You know, like it all dawned on me at that one moment what a liability I was and how important it was to fix that. Yeah, there's a couple of things that you touched on that I think are really, really important here. The one around the insecurity piece, I think, is is critical. And I think this is one of the things that can that can actually really stop people from seeking this feedback in the first place. And that's a really, really bad move, right? Because whether you're aware of it or not, and whether you're getting the feedback or not, those thoughts are already occurring in the people around you. And having them out on the table actually allows you to do something about them. And we talked about this before in another episode, but a lot of that insecurity stems from the fact that you don't feel prepared for the job, right? You said that specifically, and, and I know a lot of us have felt that way where all of a sudden we're thrust into something that there is no way to be prepared for. And we've taken that further in the discussion that you and I had a couple of weeks ago, which surrounded the idea that this changes over time, right? We end up with a new job every, you know, probably three to four months as a startup founder in the early days because the, the business changes so fast. And so then we're constantly thrust into new things that we, even if we had started to feel pretty good about what we were doing, all of a sudden now that the playing field has changed, we got to do something new and in come the insecurities again. And so, you know, this is something that you may have to revisit more than one time. And in fact, you will have to revisit it more than once, but it's worth doing, right? It's really worth taking the time to do this, getting feedback from people around you. One of the things that I found helped me a lot, and it was, I think it was actually partially driven by the insecurity. I didn't want to talk to the people who I knew could give me direct feedback. So what I started with was a half measure. I was reaching out to people who were kind of third parties. So I had a couple of advisors, I had a couple of mentors, two of those were professors of mine. And so we already had an existing relationship and we were, you know, spending time together and I was already used to asking them questions and I felt comfortable. So if you have somebody like that in your circle of influence, definitely worth reaching out to them. Um, and I found that to be a little bit easier from the insecurity standpoint because 
I was able to control the information a little bit. Was it as useful as going directly to the people I was impacting? Probably not. But did it feel better for me and get me started down the right path? I think so. Yeah, I mean, for me, and I think for you, a lot of it was just even asking for the help, Yep. right? Which, again, I don't think as founders were conditioned to do because not that we're not willing to ask for help. I don't want to you know, undersell founders. I don't think we're willing to be vulnerable enough to say, am I wrong, right? Especially often to people who you're probably wrong with, right? Yeah, for sure. It's interesting about this example is it's actually from startups.com. So I have to be a little bit more muted about kind of the detail of it because it's people that still work here. But Just change my name to Bob. <laughs> so Brian Brutan came to me, right? <laughs> but this is years ago. This is like seven years ago. We had an employee and they sat down with me and they basically said, the way you've been acting, the stuff that you know I've heard, the way you interacted with, with other folks is abhorrent. And it's my first job. I've actually never had a job before. But like they were crying over delivering this information. I mean, visibly, yeah. visibly hurt by my attitude, my actions, et cetera. Now, here's the thing, man. There's different ways to take that. And this, this kind of comes actually more back to not even just being a professional, just being a human, right? One way to take that is to be defensive. No, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. That's, you know, that's not how you should have taken things. You're wrong for receiving things the way you did. Yeah. If you want to end up a hashtag, that's a great way to go about it. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. Just like, but even if that were true, what a colossal mistake that would have been on my end, right? What benefit do I get after receiving this information by correcting them, right? By telling them how wrong they are. Instead, I was like, tell me more, right? Where else did I come off the rails? Yeah. And they continued to go on and on and on. And I was like, damn. I am way off the mark. And I remember years later when they left, I brought it back up unprompted. And I said, you know what? You may not have realized it, but you did me such a service by sitting me down and telling me where I stood. You saved the organization years of evolution, me years of evolution. And I really want to thank you for what you did for me. The opposite of what people were expecting to hear. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's probably a fair amount of folks listening to the podcast that maybe aren't founders. You know, maybe that are reporting to a founder. Some of them work at our company, at startups.com. And they're wondering, should I say anything? Like, you know, how do I approach that? Ryan, I think it's worth talking about if we're not the problem someone else is, how do we open that conversation up? And if we are the problem, we're the recipient, we're the founder, how do we respond to that? Sure. Because I don't know of a lot of people that have the emotional intelligence to be able to say it's okay if I'm wrong and listen accordingly, right? Or understand how important it is to receive that from the person giving it to you in a way that makes them remain honest. Because most people are going to get defensive or most people are going to try to prove why they were right because what they're missing is why it's coming up to begin with. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and there's a huge, huge cost in the wrong reaction to this problem, right? The How you respond to this has everything to do with whether or not you're going to come to a solution with this specific problem if you respond to this incorrectly. So if we go back to your example, if you had gotten defensive in that case and you had tried to push back and explain why they were wrong and you were right, not only would you have not gotten the rest of the information you got at that point, you never would have gotten another piece of information from that person and likely 
from broader circles within the organization because that stuff gets around pretty quickly, right? Oh, I finally went and told him about XYZ and I got shut down, right? There was no contrition. There was no listening. It just turned into, you know, an echo chamber of him telling me why I was wrong. And the cost of that long term is enormous, right? Our response in this case has far more to do with the ongoing health of the business than the situation itself, right? And that's not to say there aren't some situations that are extremely serious, but I've encountered very few that in and of themselves were very dangerous to the company. My reaction was very dangerous to the company or could have been, right? And I think that that's really the, how we respond to these things is the issue from start to finish, right? It's not about what happened, it's about what happens next. And so I think that, you know, again, getting feedback, making sure that, you know, you receive it in an appropriate way and that you let people know that you appreciate it and, and that you give it the, the attention that it deserves goes a hell of a long way in keeping those communication channels open and allowing you to be reminded that these things are ongoing issues, right? That it isn't an isolated thing. I think that's the other danger there is if you shut it down once, two really bad things happen. Three, probably. One, they stop communicating with you. Two, you don't really solve that issue. And three, you prove to yourself that this is an appropriate way of dealing with this in the future. And you're just going to continue that pattern from that point forward. You know, the last thing you want is to seal off this discussion. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I think we're conditioned in our lives when, when problems come up to solve the problem by pleading our case and showing that, that while we are right or in the right, et cetera. Yep. And the reality is, in this particular case, as the founder, if we don't establish and maintain and nurture channels to get actual honest feedback, to be able to modify our behavior, we are destroying the organization. We're setting a horrible precedent for ourselves. We're setting a horrible precedent for all the other managers in the company to say, well, if I'm not going to listen, maybe you don't have to either. Conversely, if people know they can come to me, be brutally honest, and get actual empathy, have me sit down and say, okay, help guide, guide my development, then it's impossible for anybody else in the organization as a manager or otherwise to be so indignant about their own reception. Yeah, and I think you touched on something really important there. I think in the best case is that if you deal with that poorly and you do shut down that communication, the best case is they resent you for it. The worst case is they actually learn from you and they start to do it themselves. That is absolute toxicity and it will spread throughout the organization. I have way too many examples of where people came and told me what a jerk I am. <laughs> I'm not even trying to give these examples. They're actually oh, they're just man. coming to me. I'll give you another example. This is when we were raising for one of the companies and a very well-known venture capitalist had invested some personal money into my company. And he came to me at some point and he said, you know what? I really can't stand your personality. And if you knew who I was talking about, none of this would surprise you. He's very abrasive in his feedback, but, but I got to say this and it kills me to say it. He wasn't wrong. Yeah. His words specific, I remember we were sitting at lunch and he said to me, he said, you're a chest pounder. You're running around talking about how great your startup is and how you're killing it and how all these things are happening. He's like, it's bullshit. I know the numbers, right? You guys are still trying to figure your business out. Don't run around telling everybody how great you're doing until you actually do that well. I was like, damn, right? And I remember being pissed. In my head, I was saying, fuck you. I was feeling attacked. I was feeling defensive. But here's what he was saying. You're a liability. Your approach to how you're, you're representing this company, how you're, you're representing the investor community, the startup community, et cetera, is a liability. And I'm trying to help you. If I'm being honest, he probably could have approached it a bit differently and had it been more effective, but he wasn't wrong. And from that point on, I would keep going back to him and saying, hey, man, here's what I did 
where am I at? Like, give me a little bit of a barometer to tell me how far off the mark I was. Incidentally, apparently I was always off the mark. You know, <laughs> I was like the kid that couldn't make dad proud. But the point is, he was willing to stick his neck out to establish some rapport with me. He was willing to stick his neck out to try to kind of course correct me a bit. And while it took me a little bit, I was a little bit of the, the, the horse that needed some breaking in. It did help. And I did respect that channel. And to this day, when we have a conversation, he provides his feedback. I take it very seriously because I understand if I break that line of communication that I'm setting myself back in that I don't mean to be the liability. When I hurt people's feelings, when I said the wrong thing, when I was combative, I don't mean to do that. I'm not letting myself off the hook. I'm just trying to say there's no malintent there. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I wasn't a jerk, right. right? And it's my job to own up for that. And I think it's every founder's yeah, job to own up for that. Oh, it is. And, and it's important that you're aware of it, right? I mean, we've talked about that from the beginning, but the issue still exists whether you're aware of it or not. And so right. making sure that you've built an organization that feels comfortable sharing that kind of information with you is critical because at some point, you know, you ever tried to put a, uh, a nozzle on a hose with the water running, right? It's really <laughs> hard to contain that kind of pressure, right? Without a huge mess. And so you don't want to try to cap that off. You don't want to try to just block the communication. You need to let it flow and you do something with it, right? To your point, most founders aren't trying to be jerks, right? It does happen. It happens in, in it happens to non-founders too, right? It's not limited to us either. But the awareness and the information that it takes to be aware of it in the first place is that first step. And then what you do with it is everything from that point forward. I would say this. As a founder, it is my job to keep myself self-aware of how my actions, of how my personality affects the organization. If, if I try to write everything off, like my bad behavior is, is in the name of the company. This is, you know, the, the Travis Kalanick you know, kind of feel, which is I'm going to bulldoze everything, but it's for the good of Uber, right? right? And I got to tell you, there's, there's a part of me that thinks, hey, you're not entirely wrong, but that doesn't get you off the hook either, right? Yeah, maybe that's what it took, but you were still an a-hole, right? And you caused serious damage in the organization, the culture, et cetera, and you need to account for that. As a founder, where I make the mistakes, I know I'm going to make mistakes, right? We all do. The only thing that we can do is try to at least open ourselves up to say, look, I'm going to come off the rails from time to time, but I give you permission to kind of help me, help bring me back on. I think that's the only set of boundaries you can create to keep yourself in check. If you don't, we know what, what that looks like. We work story. It's horrendous. Despite the outcome. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? The, and this is something that's really important to remember. As founders, we do not get the benefit of being able to say, well, don't question my methods, question my results, right? The methods are absolutely constantly under scrutiny and question, and they should be, right? We're leading an entire organization. We're setting the, the pace, the tempo, and the culture for an entire organization of people, and it impacts the business, it impacts their lives, and so we should live up to that. And it's a big responsibility, but it's, it's willingly or not, or, or knowingly or not, rather, we shoulder from the very beginning of the, in the start of the organization. I agree. And I think that, again, part of it's setting tone. Part of it is absolutely required. If you're going to be a good founder, if you're going to be a good leader of anything, you have to have a level of humility and contrition that allows you to evolve. If For all of us, just as humans, leadership or not, if we're not willing to say we're wrong, if we're not willing to say, what could I have done better in that situation? If everyone around you is pissed right now, and in your mind, you have no hand in it, you're wrong. Right? <laughs> because yeah, 100%. There's no way to have two people involved in a problem where only one of it, whether it's a breakdown in communication, whether it's, it's a lack of, of contrition and understanding, humility, etc., 
If there's a problem, both people have a hand in it. And if there's multiple problems, which there are in every single startup, right? Yeah. A lack of this empathy while trying to build this big amorphous train running off the rails at the same time is like one of the biggest liabilities you could have. It's brutal. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. Thank you.